welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it really starts out a little differently, like a conversation that perhaps should have been tagged onto yesterday's chapter instead of today's, as today's is mostly dealing with matters of contentment. But verses 1 and 2 are on today's chapter, so we'll go with them as they are. The numbers, by the way, if you're curious about who put the chapter and verse numbers in the English Bible that we have today, it was done, I think it was the 15th or 16th century by a Frenchman. Um, And so these are fairly new, relatively new in history. Robert Etienne, um, don't ask me to spell that, E-S-T-I-E-N-N-E-S, I I believe. Anyway, um, so let's get going with chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke of as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you.
This is the word of the Lord. So our letter from Paul to Timothy has concluded with this chapter today. And as, as I said at the beginning, it begins with this section on slaves and masters, which seems a little out of place considering most of this context is about contentment and wealth and such things. But I guess there's some connection there. Um, we talk about contentment, but we'll, we'll look at that. I don't have to describe to you how much our culture hates this idea and how, how badly they would react to this text, right? But all who are under a yoke as slaves, ESV tried to soften it, um, but there's not really a need to. Slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. The Lord is a Lord of authority, and he grants authority to various people in various places at various times for various reasons. We do not get to choose whether the Lord grants us authority or not. That is his to do. We see that, for example, in government figures. God gives them their authority. Some of them use them well, sometimes. All governing authorities at least abuse them sometimes. Some of them seem to abuse them only, all the time. Yet their authority still comes from God. And the same is the case in the relationship between master and slave. Just as it is between husband and wife, father and son, um, there is a position of authority, there is a position of hierarchy, and the, the lesser in that hierarchy is to honor the greater in that hierarchy. So, slaves, honor your masters. Why? So that the name of God and teaching may not be reviled. First of all, the slaves hearing this would be Christian slaves, right? They are Christians who are slaves in someone else's house. So if you revile your master, it's going to do two things. Let's go with the unbelieving master first. They know that you're a Christian. They know who you follow as your God. And so when you hate them, when you revile them, they see that and they think that's what Christians do. That's who they think that you are. And that does not speak well of the Lord. Nor does it give you the ability to teach them. You cannot teach them the gospel if you're busy hating them. The flip side to this, if you have a Christian master, um, this says all the more, right? Serve all the better. That's coming up. If your master is a Christian and you revile him, then you're not going to listen to him as he shares the faith with you, as he seeks to encourage you and strengthen you in your faith. You will hate him and thus ignore him in what he says. So if you have a believing master, don't be disrespectful. He is your brother. Serve him all the better because the people benefited by that service are other believers, beloved children of God. It's a tough text, but I mean, it's pretty straightforward, really, when it comes to scripture. American culture has its idea that we are free, that we are liberated, that we cannot be owned by anybody. Well, the scripture just doesn't make anything out of that. Like, that's a mindset that is American. It's not a mindset that is biblical. It's not a mindset that is Christian. And it's hard for the Christian who's grown up in the United States to make that distinction. We are to treat one another with love. So if you have a servant who lives in your house, love them. Care for them. Treat them well. 
Anyway, that's that part. Moving on. False teachers, true contentment is the subtitle placed over verse 2b in my Bible, teach and urge these things. Um, so the ESV editors are encouraging you, encouraging you to consider the words teach and urge these things as being referring to verse 3 and following rather than referring to what came before. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, so false teachers, does not agree with the sound words of Jesus. He is puffed up, conceited. That makes sense, right? He thinks he's better than God. He thinks he knows better than Jesus. And he understands nothing. He is empty. And then look at all the words Paul uses to describe that person. They are unhealthy as they crave controversy, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. Is that stuff that you want to have in your life? right? We don't. So avoid these things. Avoid this false teaching stuff. It's bad. Um, and they are then arguments among the depraved and mind deprived of truth. These false teachers imagine that godliness is a means of gain. The Pharisees fit that bill, right? That they served God, sort of, they led his people, sort of. They, they lived and did what they did, though, in order to be acknowledged, in order to be recognized. They received honor from their, their long prayers. They received gifts from people because they had that high honor and respect within the community. But they did it for gain. They weren't doing it out of faithfulness to the Lord. They didn't even believe in Jesus, by and large, most of them. So you can see that kind of a picture. We see it all over the place today. I mean, I hate to say it so bluntly and straightforwardly, but pretty much anyone you see preaching on TV, there might be an exception to that. I haven't checked the TV channels all that much that lately, but most of the ones that make TV are the ones that have the big audiences and are in it for the prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement or the new apostolic, oh, N-A-R, what's the R? New apostolic reformation maybe i don't know those kinds of movements are are not healthy they are not clean they are not about sharing christ i'll leave it at that if you want to talk about that more uh, give me a call sometime we can have or we can sit down in person sometime and and dig in and bring me a sermon let's look at it together and see what what moves the preacher makes what's false or what's good we'll learn to discern together Godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the opposite. So these false teachers are imagining that by being godly, they can get worldly gain. Paul says that by being godly and content, that that is great gain. Because the gain is not earthly. Right? Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if you treasure the stuff of this world, your heart is in this world rather than in paradise. So be content in all things. Be godly, be content, and that is gain because it means you are appointed to Christ at all times. You are always given thanks to the Lord and he cares for you. He provides for you. This is good. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. Basic, simple, true statement. 
Job says that in his writings as well, if you go back that far in Scripture. Um, making all these worldly gains in the end does not matter. It does not gain us anything in paradise. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So basic needs. If the basic needs have been met, we're going to be okay. This is said to a people that suffer from stuffitis. I know we do. I do. There's stuff coming out of our ears. We have so much stuff in our homes. Food and clothing. And not like 72 different outfits so you never wear the same thing. Like more than once in a season. No. One tunic, maybe two. That would be enough. Not enough that our belly needs to like feel like it's about to pop. But just a little would be enough. Contentment. Contentment looks at the Lord and thanks the Lord. If you want to learn contentment, practice giving thanks each day. Which we're supposed to do always anyway, but be intentional about it. Pray to the Lord that he helps you to be content. What is contentment is a conversation to have with your children. It means you are satisfied with what you have. You are good with what has been provided for. You you don't seek more. You don't want more. You don't get jealous of others who have what you don't have. Those kinds of things. So make a list of things that you're thankful for as a family and pray that prayer of thanksgiving. And pray it again tomorrow. Pray it again the next day. And just keep praying it. And that will help you to learn contentment as you learn to give thanks to the Lord for what he has given to you. Verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into a trap. So chasing after money is a temptation and it destroys. Just as any other temptation destroys, it is harmful, plunges people into ruin. Verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Stress that a, because that often gets left out. People often think it's Money is the root of all evil. That's not what Paul wrote. He wrote the love of money. Notice the difference already. Is a root. So there are all sorts of evils in this world. There are many things that cause them. Love of money causes some of them. Ask your children, though, is money evil? The answer to that question is no. Money is just a thing. It's a tool. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can use a laptop to be destructive, whether it's on social media or searching the internet for pornography, or you can use a laptop to love your neighbor. You know, you can order groceries for somebody and have them delivered. You can um, research how to help your neighbor fix something of theirs that broke. You can use it to encourage people on social media instead of harming. So things are just tools, right? Money is just another thing. We choose whether to use that for God's purposes or whether to use it for the devil's purposes. We have our third admonition in this letter that people can fall away from the faith. 
Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right, um, you get a fourth one down at the end. Professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So four times Paul makes that warning in this letter alone. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the love of money. Flee the false teaching, the different doctrines. Instead, pursue righteousness, so perfection in God. Pursue godliness, that we would walk in the ways of the Lord. Pursue faith, that we would trust in God above all things. Pursue love, both love of God and love of neighbor. Pursue steadfastness, that we would cling to the things of the Lord. Pursue gentleness. It's a tough one, but it helps us to share the good news when we are gentle. Fight the good fight of the faith. Know what you're fighting for. Why do you wake up in the morning? Are you battling for yourself? Or are you battling for the Lord? Do you have a purpose? The answer to that is yes, you do. Fight the good fight of the faith. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord. Each day. Take hold of eternal life. So you have been called to it. It is yours. Seize it. Don't let go. Cling to the promises of Christ. About which you made the good confession. So this is Timothy again. Um, whether it's his baptism or not, presence of many witnesses, hard to say. That's uh, similar to what we do with confirmation probably in the church today as we think about this particular thing. Like when do our youth make good confessions of their faith in front of many witnesses? You know, we baptize them before they can. So confirmation, pretty fitting here although not a biblical word or instruction. I charge you in the presence of God. So here's another task. Who gives life to all things. This is true, right? All life comes from God. And of Jesus, who also gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, right? As, as shall we. We will have to give good confessions before various authorities in this world. Peter, in 1 Peter 3, calls us always to be prepared to do so at any given time. Here's the charge. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So serve God. And as the pastor is to be above reproach, Timothy, when you do that, when you live above reproach, the commandment remains above reproach. And people will have the option, the ability to hear what God has to say. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. At which point, at his second coming, all things will be pure, right? As Christ rescues us from this broken world, as he gives us a new heaven and a new earth, and we get to live with him in paradise, he will keep his commandment unstained at that point. Jesus will display his appearing at the proper time. Just like his birth back in chapter 2, verse 6, this proper time idea. It's not our timing, but God's timing. He will send, the Father will send his Son back when he chooses to do so. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. So we've been talking about authority. There's your source of all authority, Jesus Christ. He alone is immortal, so unkillable, lives forever, and dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see. This is a paradise reference. I mean, once we get to paradise, we are also immortal and we will see God with our own eyes. Once again, as Job said in Job 19, and we will honor God forever, and he will reign 
forever. Dominion. He will rule over his creation forever. Now, warn the rich. Well, I guess not warn them. Charge them not to be prideful. Charge them not to set their hope on worldly gain or on worldly goods. Put your hope on God and in God alone. Otherwise, you've got yourself an idol. It is the Lord who richly provides. All that that person has already comes from God. And so do good with it. Be rich in your good works. Be generous. This isn't to say you have to give everything away, although you can if you want to. But be generous, not stingy. Love others. Care for those who need it. By this, you are storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. Treasures that actually endure. Verse 20. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, God's word and the faith. You can look at that either way. Guard the faith so that it's not shipwrecked. Guard God's word so that it is not, well, so that false teaching doesn't fill the church and lead others astray. The word irreverent shows up there. Avoid irreverent babble. If you search the ESV text for irreverent, it only shows up in Paul's writings to Timothy. Nowhere else in all the ESV Bible. Just three times. And again, four times he warns Timothy about people falling away from the faith. Grace be with you, the closing words, the gift of our Lord, forgiveness, life, and salvation be yours forevermore.